Hi, I'm Timothy Maurice Webster, a behavioral psychology author, and what a pleasure it is to welcome you to a special episode of our Innovation in Agriculture and Energy Opportunity Zone Innovator Series. Today, we're delighted to share with you a conversation with the founder of the movement, Keith Moore, an author and pioneer in expanding both mindsets and opportunities for all people, but he has tenaciously and passionately mastered developing communities. Today, we'll discuss the latest thinking around linking HBCUs and Opportunity Zones and how he and his team are given access to entrepreneurs and innovators across America and the world, access to government power and an abundant mindset. Keith Moore, welcome to the IAEOZ podcast. Timothy, thank you very much. And it's uh, tremendous to be here. Why are you so passionate about expanding opportunity for minority businesses, communities, and academic institutions? At KDM, we say relationships. Without relationships, you have no business. Well, without education, you literally um, will have a hard time being successful here in the 21st century. And I don't mean necessarily all academic, university, or book knowledge. I'd like to say that there's a powerful dose of common sense, intuition. Uh, I'd like to also say spiritual faith and guidance that leads one to think progressively, to act boldly, and to seek to serve others and empower others by all those other principles. So, You know, from my work with you, what I know for sure is that whether you're sitting with the president or you're sitting with someone who's homeless, you're sitting with a professor or someone trying to get off the streets back into college, everyone is the same to you. You believe in possibility. Tell us how this work started, how your heart evolved into strategy to help expand people and mindsets in minority communities. Well, Tim, I think I have to be honest with myself and go as far back as growing up in a family business since the age of 12 and being in the elderly care nursing home business, which ultimately after 30 plus years, continuing to be in that space, uh, we, I have um, become fully committed. I've been baptized. I've been immersed into caring for others who can't care for themselves. And so when you look at that principle, as I do, and I think about the projects, the work that I've done in the community, uh, for example, back in the mid nineties, taking our facility in Asbury Park, um, uh, predominantly urban center on the shore uh, with over, over-criminalization, under-educated and underemployed city, uh, where we had a 45-bed facility and we converted that elderly care into a drug and alcohol rehab simply because there was none that existed. And it was for men and women. That didn't exist either. You can't put those two together and they have addictions, et cetera. But it became one of the first halfway houses for men and women, and one of the most successful, because literally the stakeholders, at the time the stakeholders in this, for this population was 
were the judges, the jails, the families who've been negatively impacted. And they all looked to the Exodus house for a restoration, a human restoration. And I really thank God for that experience because it showed me how my training in caring for people who can't care for themselves can be converted into targeted populations such as those who suffer from alcohol and substance abuse to give them the care, the technical support and the services, the food, the basic necessities to scale them beyond where they've been and the reasons that they found themselves in the situation. So life has been pretty rewarding for me, Tim, in terms of the work I call my profession, my confession. And uh, we enjoy doing that now in the public policies, I guess you and I will talk about in the next few minutes. When you started the IAEOZ Summit, tell us what you've learned, who you are targeting, and what the fundamental purpose of this movement is about. So in order to answer that, I just like the two previous questions, I wanna go back to the basics and the foundation. Uh, KDM and Associates is a business development, government affairs and public relations firm. And we've been around proudly now for 19 years. And we set our uh, brand and our premise of a team approach to your success. We always focused on a team effort and we focused on who we were working with to make them successful. It's sort of like the Stephen Covey principle of starting with the end in mind. And so IAEOZ um, was a byproduct of yet another principle that I prescribed to actually created and, and, and it's simply this. Where there's policy, there's profit. And I think that that's the difference between those who have and have not, those who, don't understand where policy comes from, the origination, the, origin, the intent of the policies that lead to ultimately budgetary appropriation by Congress approved by the Senate and ultimately signed off by the president. And so <clears throat> being able to be in the business of valuing, understanding policy, public policy to help a company increase their capacity and competency to understand where their widget, their, their uh, products or services align with the mission of that particular agency who's responsible for carrying out the public policy that Congress and the Senate approve in terms of their budget is truly the premise by which the Innovation in Agriculture and Energy Opportunity Zone Summit was created. There were two public policies. They were actually uh, executive orders. Well, they weren't executive orders, but uh, they were MOUs between the Department of Energy and the Department of Agriculture. Who knows about that? I would venture to say that 85% do not. We're in the business of sharing that information, coming to a customer or a government agency and being able to have the kind of conversation that helps them plug and play, if you will, the policy, the intent of the policy, and we will help 
build the capacity needed, provide the technical assistance required so that a business, a minority business, an HBCU, a small business, or a large or mid-sized business can actually engage in, in being able to help activate and carry out the intent of that public policy. So that's powerful, are- Keith. That yeah, no, I, that's very clear to me. You know, which brings me to the your vision for linking HBCUs and the opportunity zones. Please, I mean, this is one of the most inspiring part of being on the team myself is seeing, looking around these academic institutions and the communities they're in and seeing the raw opportunity. Share your vision for linking these two. Well, they say without a vision, people will perish. Um, I say without Netflix or movies, uh, I wouldn't know what to do because I wouldn't get a third dimension of appreciation or understanding of what the impact the lack of education or having to struggle to get an education or even put up an institution so certain segments of our society could actually be educated. And that has what, what is what our history has shown and, and is the birth and, and uh, the, the birth of HBCUs, Historically Black Colleges. And the movie that I, um, I'm constantly referring to is The Great Debate, where uh, I believe Wiley College and it was Harvard um, debated and it was under a tent and there was a lot of uh, fear, trepidation. And, you know, each character in that movie represented something very significant and symbolic because they were uh, one of a very, very few. For example, you had African-Americans at the time, males predominantly, who were professors that did get accepted to Harvard, but wanted to teach at a black school because they knew the power of education. And so the great debate in that movie helped me to understand Crystallize, and it wasn't one movie, it's just life itself. It could be called the George Floyd movie today, where, Our laws, our government, our corporations, uh, the conditions of our society, whether it's climate change, healthcare, or uh, wealth creation and innovation, there's a significant inequity when it comes to African-Americans and Hispanics engaging in the fullness of being able to be financially independent and to do so in a way that there's a lot of support. There's a lot of budgetary support. Right now, for example, there's only one agency that is appropriated to help minority businesses in terms of uh, focus just on minority businesses. And that's the Department of Commerce Minority Business Development Agency. That's only one agency and um, we need to give more power to that agency. We need to give more appropriations if that's the case, if there's only gonna be one. So a long-winded way to give you a background around your question uh, that comes to why we believe in linking 
HBCUs to innovation because back then at that movie, they fought and debated for their freedom to simply have these institutions. And when they won that fight, we saw preachers predominantly growing these institutions by leaps and bounds and ultimately having 150 around the country. But over time, we saw traditionally uh, what they call white institutions, uh, whether it's Harvard, Yale, you know, John Hopkins, yeah, uh, MIT, these universities knew what to do on their campuses. They knew long time ago, way back then, that they needed to partner with industry and that they could become laboratories of innovation that would help the industrial age. HBCUs were just happy as they should have been to give access to education for people who were once not able to even get educated. So the history really gives us this current day inspiration. It's relentless for me. It's, uh, I believe, inspiring for our team. People like you can come from all over the world and, you know, um, hear and see the passion and, and the purpose and therefore the potential for us being able to inspire others to include industry, government, and other stakeholders, particularly families and community, to recognize that we are in the midst of needing to transform what works because what worked back historically for historically black colleges does no longer work. What works is innovation. What a powerful- and So we picked a few- Yeah, what, what a powerful segue. I mean, you're now, you helped me transition to one of the most exciting parts of this conversation, which is how you use an innovation and technology to facilitate the vision and the growth. You're launching a number of exciting platforms such as the What Works platform, online communities, webinars. Tell us a little bit about how you're using technology, particularly around What Works. I'm looking forward to diving in. Well, I, it's clearly linking on to what has just been said, but now adding on the very, very specific area that so often gets not, not delved into sufficiently enough, and that's the sector. Let's take public policy and see how it impacts on sectors. So in the case of agriculture, unfortunately, we find a historical uh, decline of unacceptable orders when we look at black and brown farmers. At the height of the Civil War, we were over 190,000 um, plus, uh, you know, black farmers, and now we're down to probably less than 10 to 25,000 is the number. Land has been lost, a trade, a sector, food of all sectors, something that every single individual, black, brown, yellow, no matter what, has to rely on for its existence. It should be a, a boon for minority farmers. But yet, policy and having to work on a farm is hard work. <laughs> so we realized in our analysis and our work 
that there's been a major disconnect between a minority farmer and access to funding. And the history books show that. You don't have to go too far back. Those are the things that we wanna change by having a five-year commitment on this Innovation in Agriculture and Energy Summit, where we will uh, engage industry, agriculture, energy, and opportunity zones, a public policy, once again, Tim, that is designed in 2017 to stimulate $100 billion in economic development. In where? Distressed communities, those same communities where HBCUs are located. And interestingly enough, at um, the midway point in 2017, I asked the question, I said, uh, how many HBCUs are located in opportunity zones? And we didn't know the answer to that, but we knew where to go and HUD was very helpful and responsive at the PDNR, uh, Public Data and Research Office to let us know that there was 52. So now we focus public policy on 52 HBCUs with an industry sector called agriculture. And we know that energy is a sector where you must have energy. But imagine if you could actually use solar energy, if you could use wind, if you could actually uh, turn the power on at night when the combines go down and the farmers go home. But because you had enough electricity or enough power from 12 midnight to 6 a.m., how much more productivity would those farmlands have? then it takes us back into where we are as black and brown farmers and we're not, there's not enough of us. So we're committed and we're thankful for having partnerships like Mainers um, and University of Kentucky with Dr. Mia Farrell, uh, who concentrate on in not only inspiring, but giving you know, the kind of technical support that a minority farmer needs, mentoring that they need, uh, guidance. And then there also then comes the corporations who also need agriculture scientists, food scientists, uh, those who are in conservation and those who can understand plant science and animal science, because those, those things lead to, you know, impossible burgers and, you know, vaccines for our pandemic. Yeah. So it all connects. It all connects. It's, there's, there's no disconnect, but there is a disconnect between the public and the understanding of this very complex public policy. And we want to take the question marks out of what works. We started What Works, which is an online platform. And it will be a robust online training and marketing uh, vehicle that uh, takes webinars and takes uh, seminars that people have missed simply because they're busy and their schedules are busy. And just like we did at Open Government TV, we wanted to increase the information exchange and address the country's most significant problems. And so we started channels. We look forward yeah. to the channels that would be what works in climate change, what works in Department of Defense to help small businesses and minority businesses, what works for HBCUs and Opportunity Zones. What I love about this, what I love about this, Keith, people will be able to log online if they need access to funding, what works with gr getting grant funding? What works? And that's the beauty of this technology. And we're going to take it straight to the people that matters. I want to close this episode by asking you to take us into your vision for 
all entrepreneurs, innovators, government partners who are listening, take us into your mind. You're like this guy who has been on all sides. As an entrepreneur, you are an innovator. You've worked in and around government. Tell, look right into the camera and tell all potential partners why they must join this movement and become a part of the innovation and agriculture and energy and opportunity zones to make a difference with HBCUs. Where there's policy, Tim, there's profit and there's also empowerment. And we need to empower our people with information and education. We found also that not, it's not uh, sufficient just to give information out. It's not sufficient to just uh, quote unquote, put butts in seats and have these conferences and see how many can attend. It's literally about how many people who would do attend a platform, a conference, a seminar that can retain information because they're being mentored and being given capacity building skills. The government can no longer do it. Why? Because it's just too much to do the work that they have and manage supporting the mentoring and technical assistance needs that small businesses have. The data unfortunately shows that what I've just shared is very true. We have, and the pandemic has only tri triple and quadrupled the negative impact for small and minority businesses, but yet they're the backbone. They're the parents of students who are seeking to be in college and afford staying in college. So we must transform this total education system, not because it's not what brought us to this point, because it has, but to get us to well beyond into the 21st century as the rapid future of work is evolving with, from Bitcoin to AI, to you know, emerging technologies uh, in all of these sectors. Our students will not be able to be empowered sufficiently enough because the classrooms and the teachers can't keep up enough with the fast rapid changes. So there has to be a personal commitment by leaders and by organizations like ours to take the necessary time to ensure that there's enough success so that we can address the national security issues, whether it's food or defense. We can't continue to be exposed vulnerably to cyber attacks and not have the workforce that we need that's competent enough and confident enough to be able to outman and outwoman and outmatch our international um, sometimes allies, many times our enemies. So this really is so important, Tim, in terms of having this vision articulated. And in 2010, we at Open Government TV saw that video actually was gonna become 90% of information by the year 2016, 17, we're there now and it has proven out to be true that we rely on video and we didn't even anticipate a pandemic in 2020 that has doubled down on the reliance of 
architectures like this where you and I are looking at each other, hearing each other, and feeling confident to share and exchange. And then we can push a button, set it down, and pick it right back up where we left off so that we can retain. And so our teachers, our government, our industries, our healthcare, all our churches, our faith-based leaders, all are on call now to transform what works in America. Keith Moore, thank you so much. And thanks to all of you for taking this journey with us. Let's continue rallying our energies and focus our resources to make a difference. Our HBCUs are counting on us. Our communities that have been neglected are counting on us. Please share this episode with someone you care about. Until the next time, I'm Timothy Marie.